Welcome to the Speak Up Talk Radio Network, home of the Firebird Book Awards, the Positive Change Podcast Awards, and this podcast, Authors on Fire. I am Pat Rulo, and I am happy to finally have the opportunity to talk with Firebird Book Award winning author K.J. Filer, also known as Kat, about her winning book titled Shadow Runner. Kat is the host of the Writer to Writer YouTube program, a member of the Atlanta Writers Club, Florida's Writers Association. North Florida Writers, Henderson Group, and the Amelia Island Book Festival. Her short story and her first ever fiction byline, titled Loyalty, will be archived on the moon this month in January via the Lunar Codex Project. And her novel, Shadow Runner, the Firebird Book Award winner, is the first in a three-book young adult historical fantasies series. She spends most of the year traveling with her husband and blogging from their Airstream at various national parks. And I say, oh my, I have so many questions, so let's get going. (laughs) Welcome to the Authors on Fire podcast, Kat. Oh, thank you so much. I'm such an honor. Oh, the honor is all mine. And especially now we've got somebody who's got their book going to the moon. Tell us about that. Yes. Well, it turns out right now we're in uh, sort of limbo on whether it's going to crash on the moon or if it's going to just keep going into interstellar space. It did launch successfully, but what happened was the um, the little capsule that contains everything it has misfired. And so now uh, NASA is very resilient, so I have faith that they're going to be able to do something. And some of us were sad that if it crashes that it wouldn't be readable, but my comment was... Was, it's not like we're setting up a library. Who do we think is going to go out there and read it anyway? <laughs> now, Kat, are these in a digital format? Is that right? It's on some sort of disc. Um, it is a Samuel Peralta production. He's a um, filmmaker. He's also a publisher. He does a lot of things, and um, he is involved with the program somehow. He's a physicist, so I don't know exactly how he got involved with this. I think it might have been through another author friend but um, whose husband also works for NASA. But he has everything on, it was on microfiche originally, and then it was on some sort of disc, and then it was on something even smaller than that, and now whatever it's on is like a little gold disc, and it's uh, impervious to space, so it it could potentially last forever. Mm -hmm. I wonder how anyone's going to access that. That's the question. It's really more of a um, an archive, and I don't, I don't really actually know what the plans are for that. It's sort of a time capsule, uh-huh. I think, is it, okay. the idea. Mm-hmm. Whatever. It's very, very cool to have your work flying about space. Well, my one regret in life was that I was not going to be able to get into orbit. And when I was growing up, that was the thing that used to make me sad. It was the only thing that made me sad. And then one day I thought, "Uh uh-oh, Richard Branson is going, and I can go. I just can't afford to go. (laughs) So every year I petition Richard Branson to let me go on his um, little airplane there. And I offer to let him dissect me at the end if he wants. And he never answers me, but I assume that somebody is amused at my annual plea. And now it turns out that my book made it off the earth, not me. So it's at least in orbit. It did something I didn't do. You are so funny. I love this. Thank you for sharing that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Another thing I love is that 
you have a uh, Airstream and you travel around the parks. My husband and I had a uh, 30-foot diesel push RV and we traveled around the country mm-hmm. too for a while, maybe about 10, 15 years ago. And I bet for you that serves quite as the writing muse. It It is at once a muse and a temptation. Uh, I was in the middle, I was really on a deadline for Shadowrunner and I had a, a, both my publisher and an editor waiting for remarks and changes and stuff and we were in Yellowstone and I woke up in the morning and I shoved Rick and I'm saying, look out the window and there's bison and he said, we'll see bison later, you have things to do. And I said, no, they're scra- one guy is scratching his neck on our picnic table. <laughs> and so we stood there for a while and watched him and I wanted to go out and, you know, drive around and stuff. And he said, no, and he's right. And so I had to really be, um, when I was, when I was on a deadline like that, I had to be very strict with myself mm-hmm. because the ma- the parks are magical, you know, yes. and then you get there and sometimes it's boring. I mean, sometimes you get there at the wrong time of the year or there just isn't anything going on at that moment, but sometimes you get there and everything's happening and you just don't feel like sitting down and writing. Yeah. So, yeah. Absolutely. It's so fun. And at least your husband is a um, is a good disciplinarian. He keeps you in line. He is. We have a schedule when we are traveling and we keep it. Mm. And he's good about that because if I had a partner who wasn't, you know, good about my time, it's he, he we both look at that as my job. Yeah. And if he wasn't good about it, if he was open to me playing hooky all the time, we'd be playing hooky every day. So, <laughs> yeah. That's fun. It's fun, though. I'm I'm glad you have that opportunity to do that. And so let's move on to congratulating you on winning the Firebird Book Awards. I was very, very pleased to be able to share that with you. Thank you. I was really excited about the categories, too. Uh, Shadowrunner is really for young women. And I was very happy to hear that, that that was one of the things it was recognized for. Yes, women's issues and the weird book genre. And I don't remember what was the genre mashup that went into your weird <laughs> book category. My book is something that uh, it took us a while to figure out where it went. My publisher asked me what the genre was, and I said, uh, I don't know. What do you think? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he said, there's a lot of cross-genre material out there these days, but you have to know what shelf to put it on. Yeah. So we have to have something. And I gave him several genre. And what we know for sure, it's young adult, and it's definitely women's issues. But then there's this weird mix-up of a sort of steampunk, sort of sci-fi, mm-hmm. sort of you know, Dungeons and Dragons kinds of thing. It's um, it's a very strange book. It has been likened to, well, one of my readers called it Hunger Games meets Oliver Twist. Oh. So I don't know what to make of that. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we added this, recently added the weird book category, and not that weird is some, something in a, in a negative way. Um, I think it's pretty neat that we can, you know, have these books that, defy a single genre and and kind of create their own so that's why we decided to add the weird book genre so i'm happy you won that part too yes um i was happy about that too and because i think it's a kind of a cool thing for you to recognize that people sometimes do fall in a couple of different categories and um it's it is a weird genre and there's so many authors that I really love that would fall right into that category. Mm-hmm. If you were to point to them, what are they? And 
and for example, one of my favorite, very two favorite um, authors are Lydia Kang and Jess Kidd, and I wouldn't even know what to call those. Mm-hmm. Weird genre would be right where they would fall. <laughs> so why. I don't know. <laughs> that's why we did it. I thought, all right, I need a solution, and that's my best one. So there we go. All right, so let's talk about your book, Shadow Runner. Give us a look. Shadow Runner is about a young girl who is born to wealth, and she's destined to marry and um never want for anything except freedom, and that's what she wants the most. And a ghostly visitor in a series of seemingly supernatural events unexpectedly delivers her from the mundane, but no one could have predicted the darkness that comes with that. So she's taken in and raised by a secret society, and she's groomed as an assassin. And this puts her at odds with her own moral character. And as she comes of age, she must become a predator, and she has to target the members of the very nobility to which she was born. And so her only choice is to do what they're asking or try to escape. And if she leaves, she's going to risk the lives of the two people she has come to love more than herself, which is an adopted sister and, oddly, her captor. Very fascinating. And the themes in this book, uh, class struggles, a newfound family, bullying, self-esteem, peer pressure, female empowerment. Why are these important to you? Very much uh, Hollywood, actually. I've been watching Hollywood sort of uh, romanticize the Victorian era and the dresses and the ball and the you know and the bucolic uh, estates and stuff. And Victorian England was where the women's movement started. It's where uh, workers' rights started. Um, I don't know if uh, readers or listeners are aware of this, but Charles Dickens grew up next to a workhouse, and the reason he wrote Oliver Twist was to try to change society. And that was that very time that we're seeing um, on Netflix and on in movies and stuff. And um, I had done some research about it for something else, and I realized how difficult it was to be a woman. And if you were rich, that did not protect you at all, because what you were supposed to do is marry, and it wasn't going to be some romantic affair. Your parents were going to match you up with someone. You might be 14, and he could be 40. And you would produce two heirs. And once you produce two heirs, and they had to be male, you could have other children, but you needed heirs. Once you had two heirs, you could retire, and they would provide a walled-in garden where you could spend the rest of your life tatting lace and having tea with your lady friends. But that was not really uh, a wonderful life. And then even daily life was hard. If people today were to think about bathing and the the daily things that you have to do in those gowns and without running water and stuff like that. It's not the fairy tale that they put out on TV. Mm-hmm. You offered to me a few compelling questions that I really do want to talk about regarding these themes in your book. One of them is, are you still a good person if you have to do bad things to survive? And that's what your main character had to do. How did you reconcile that? She, I don't want to give away the end, but she comes up with a way of still being a shadow because there's no getting away from that. She could walk back into her family's life. She could walk right back into the society that she left, but she would be a prisoner. And she realizes that. And she now has um, skills to survive on her own. 
in book two, we're going to find out what she does with that. But in book one, she finally comes to terms with what does she want to do? Does she want to go back to the aristocracy and then go ahead and be married off to someone? And she actually has someone in mind, and she thinks that it might work out for her because they're actually in love. But uh, she still knows that he would own everything. He would own her estate. He would own. He would be in charge of everything, and would be able to tell her what to do. And and maybe he would stay the the good person she knows now. Maybe he wouldn't. You know. So then she realizes that she can still be independent, but she doesn't necessarily have to work for these people. She could leave, and she can work for herself. So now she has to figure out what she's going to do with her life at the end of the book. That's quite a question, isn't it? Are you still a good person if you have to do bad things to survive? I have been pondering that question since you uh, posed it to me. Yes, and she did have to do bad things. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was no question about that. And she was very concerned about her. She uh, was a a woman of faith, and she believed that she was sinning. And so she was constantly bargaining with God about whether she was making mistakes or if she was actually going to be held responsible for the things that she was required to do to survive. And she sort of mitigates that with the um, girl who ends up being her sort of adopted system or sister. She ends up sort of atoning for her sins by helping this girl survive. Mm -hmm. And that's how they become so close. You know, that's true. Yeah, bargaining would probably come in to help solve that predicament, wouldn't it? Yeah, and I mean, she's not sure. I mean, it's not like she's getting letters back. (laughs) She doesn't know Mm -hmm. whether that's okay or not. She has her upbringing to go by, and she's you know, sort of starting to change her mind about even that, about what she was told was right and what's wrong. And she's starting to see things less black and white and more in terms of gray. And she's also starting to take pity on people who she would not have had pity on before, where she understands that uh, she had the opportunities to not have to worry about these things before. And now she is no longer protected by the class. And she's what she would have been if she had grown up with no money. So yeah, she has to struggle with food and, um, and, it, and here's, here's an example. Is it a sin to steal a loaf of bread to feed your kids? You know, so she's now having to deal with these kinds of things where otherwise she would have felt superior. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. When I, when I read that question, it's been kind of haunting me for the last few days as I was thinking of things, just as you said, you know, having to steal a loaf of bread to feed your children is obviously a bad thing to do, but if it's what you have to do to survive. I mean, how do you reconcile that? And yeah, just, just, just so interesting. You had another interesting question. Would you rather be rich or safe? <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a difficult one for her. It was a difficult one. Um, when I was writing it, I thought it, it didn't occur to me initially when I was doing the research for this book that wealthy women weren't safe. Mm-hmm. They just had a different bargain. Yep. And so, yeah, so she's having to figure this out. And that's her final decision. Does she want to be, because she can become wealthy at any point. She can just go back home. Um, or she could rejoin society. Whether her father is trying to take her back or not isn't even the point. She could reclaim who she was. She could just show up and say, oh, by the way, here I am. And, um, 
But she would also still be a fugitive from the shadows, and she would be bargaining to other people's mm-hmm. lives. And so, you know, there's this co- constant, what do I do about this? I don't know which is the better thing to do. Right. In the end, I think um, everyone strikes a balance, and she does. She strikes a balance mm-hmm. on that. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to give away the book, but she does actually have to figure out some sort of balance. It's not black and white anymore. So how do you know if someone really loves you? That's another great question. Yeah, in her story, she is told that her father sold her. And she had a very close relationship with her father. And it's difficult throughout the book, and it's not entirely clear until the very end what the truth of the matter is. And then whatever the answer is, she has to figure out why would someone let this happen even if he didn't actually sell her, why would he let this happen? And so did he love her? She doesn't know. He he wanted a male heir, and she was the firstborn child, but that doesn't mean that she was valuable to him. Mm-hmm. And it, she starts to rethink their whole uh, relationship as she's being raised by this other society. Of course, she's being fed a whole line from people who are criminals and have no moral fiber at all. So, you know, you have to consider the source. But when you're eight and you're growing up, and in the end of the book, she's 16, um, she's not sure who's telling the truth. Mm -hmm. And she's not sure if the woman raising her loves her. She's not sure if her father loved her. She's not sure if her mother loved her. So, and she's got this boy in her life, and she's not sure if he really loves her. She thinks that he does. So then... That's her struggle, is to figure out how do you know if somebody actually loves you. Lots of struggles, actually. So when you're traveling with your husband, do you sit down together and talk about all of these questions and thoughts? Is he kind of a sounding board for you? He is. He's uh, a little bit more sort of the engineer end of it. He makes sure that uh, I'm not losing the the plot, you know, like, well, what happened over here? Remember this person? You, you haven't told me what happened with that person. So he's real good about keeping track of the plot lines. He's, he's, uh, he's not a writer. So sometimes it can be a little frustrating. So one of the things that we have, um, done is I do online critiquing with other writers. We have groups, um, a couple of us have gotten together and we'll meet, um, and that's the really great thing about the internet. You can, I could be anywhere and we could still get together for our, you know, weekly meetings. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. It, it, it seems, especially this book seems like it would be helpful to you to have outside conversations and influences and, and thoughts because, uh, there's a lot going on. So when you wrote this cat, did you have a target audience in mind and did they actually end out being your audience? Or did you find a new group of people? It started off as actually a short story for an anthology that never launched. And it's this same publisher who just sent my very first ever you know, work of fiction into space. And I don't know if that anthology ever will launch, but at some point it got to a point where we it was going on so long that he gave everybody back the rights and he encouraged me to turn it into a novel because I had had a hard time sticking with the short story word count. Mm. And I did, and when it was all done, I showed it to him and he wrote me a 
review. He was he was very happy about that. Um, but at that point, I was no longer constrained by the anthology. I didn't have to do stuff by their canon. I could do whatever I wanted. And so as I sat down to write it, not as a short story and as a novel, I didn't have any guardrails anymore, and it became all about the character, and it was less about the world. It originally was a steampunk story, and then it turned out to be less that. Right. So, yeah, that's how we ended up there. So when did you know it was going to be three books? I got a very good idea in book one that it was more than three books. I had a plot. I had sat down and done an outline, and I realized that character development was going to go in a different direction than I originally thought. There were going to be some people who turned out to be important who were not originally intended to be important. And so it, it was at least going to be two, and then... I had some hard questions to answer that couldn't be done inside of 80,000 or 100,000 words. Mm -hmm. So it turned out to be a trilogy. I like plots. I mean, I I do like to have an outline, but I am a little bit of a pantser. Mm -hmm. So So you mentioned character development. I'm always fascinated by that. Just tell us about that. Does it evolve and change? I mean, you mentioned that you do outline. Do you know who and what your characters are all about? Or do you let them take off and kind of create themselves? I had a very good idea of who she was. I initially sat down and actually did an interview with her. And I tried to create questions that would give me some insight as to some of the big questions. I mean, how would she answer that? Is it better to be rich or safe? Is it better to be, you know, any of these things? And so I had done a really extensive character development on her. And then I realized that there were some supporting characters who were going to be pretty important, too. So I sat down and wrote those, too. Well, I had an interview with them. So that's the way that I develop a an idea of who the characters are. And then they start to interact and odd things happen. <laughs> and that's not unusual. I hear from an awful lot of yes. authors that when your characters get together, they kind of sort of gang up on you sometimes. And that was happening. <laughs> I just love that part about it. It's like all of it does come from you, but then you're talking about them as if they're you know, standalone. You're looking at them yes. and then they, they get together at a party and they're they're uh, <laughs> conspiring against you. It's kind of funny. And that's the way it felt sometimes. <laughs> and my husband not being a writer, here's one of those times where he was at once helpful and also not. He would say, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's not part of this outline. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I said, okay, it might have to change a little, you know, so, and then he would say, well, uh, are they actually, he did say to this at one point, they're not actually talking to you in your head, are they? <laughs> he was a little concerned about my mental health. And I said, no, I'm aware that they're not actual real people, but when you sit down and develop a character to the extent that is required to write a novel, Mm -hmm. they almost become real. It's as real, they're as real to me as a role would be to an actor. No, I get that because I hear that all of the time as I speak with authors. I had one gentleman whose whole family, his, his wife and his younger children became so involved with the characters. Um, he, yeah. he was, he was, he mentioned one time that he was going to make dinner and he was going to set the table and add a place for this one character. So, that- <laughs> <laughs> Yes. And some of the questions that became, well, one of the central themes that actually came from my husband was, 
is she, is she a good person if she's having to do bad things? He asked that mm-hmm. at dinner, and I thought about it, and I said, I don't know. I think that's one of the things we're going to have to figure out. And he said, it's not in the outline. And I said, I know. We're, we're definitely in new territory. I don't know. <laughs> it's not in the outline. I like that, too. <laughs> He's a good one. Oh, my yeah. gosh. So what about the book cover? Those are always of interest because they're extremely important, such a part of the book. So how did yours evolve? My publisher really goes to a lot of trouble on their book covers, and I'm going to shout out the artist for my cover. His name is David King, and he works for my publisher, and he um, really takes this seriously. Um, And what amazes me is how many different genres they have in their catalog and how he's able to switch from mystery to thriller to steampunk to, you know, horror or whatever you're doing. I had provided him with descriptions. He gives you a pretty interesting paper to fill out, and it asks a lot of questions. I, I really was convinced he had read my book. So when he came back with proposals, um, I was pretty shocked at how close it was. And then it's ultimately it's my decision. So I made some suggestions and I objected to a couple things he did in the beginning. And then he came back with something that I really liked, and he really liked it too, as it turned out. And so and it's been a pretty popular book cover. When I am in person, people do come over and look at it. So um, and I'd like to claim that's me, and it's not. It's him. Well, he gets me in the door. So, yeah. yeah. No, I get that. I get that. Who is your publisher? It is uh, Black Rose Writing. Okay. And they're a small press. They're really nice. I, I'm very happy with them. Good. Thank you. We'll give a shout out to them as well. For doing a good job. All right. So we know what's next. You're working on book two and three? Yes. Book two, um, and I can give you a little bit of a hint of how it starts. Um it's it's no spoiler, I don't think, that she survives because she is the main character throughout all three books. She is living in Kensal Green, which is a very prestigious um, graveyard <laughs> in London. And there's a reason she's living in a graveyard. <laughs> I won't say a lot more, but this is her new digs. <laughs> she's gone from being wealthy to now living like a thief, and now she's living in a graveyard. So. Wow. All right. There's a there's a teaser for you. <laughs> when is that yeah. planned to uh, be published? Uh, it is supposed to have been out already or ha- would should have been out by June of 2024. It's me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I am doing the thing that I did with the first one, which is, oh, I didn't know that was going to happen. So uh, I'm aiming for December 2024. I want it to be out by the end of the year, and I really think that's possible. So we're, we're almost there. Yeah, you know what? There's no reason to rush quality or, you know, what makes sense to you to, to meet a timeline that doesn't really even need to be met. So, yeah, I think just just uh, obviously don't go on too many more vacations, but... Um... No. <laughs> No, we're stuck in Florida right now, and I've been a lot more productive. There you go. <laughs> All right, Kat, anything we missed that you wanted to highlight today? Not that I can think of. This has been a very nice and fun interview. You were very thorough. I really appreciate all the work you did up front, so I had some idea of what you would ask, and 
So yeah, this has been very enjoyable. Thank you. I enjoyed it too. I've been looking forward to it. So if you would then share any and all contact information where folks can find out more about you, get copies of your books, wherever you want to take us. The best thing to do, well, it's, it's available on Amazon, and that's the easiest place to get it. And if it's ever on sale, that's where it'll be on sale. But I do have an author website, um, kjfiler.com, and you can email me there. I have a blog. You, there's all news. Um, is there any, you know, keeping up with whatever's going on? When the new book comes out, that'll be where you'll be able to find out about it. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I'm little bit on X, not a lot. Um, so yeah, I'm on all the social media too. I may be even on TikTok, but not often enough to be, you know, noticeable. So. <laughs> all righty. So we're speaking with KJ Filer. Winning book is titled Shadow Runner, and the website is kjfiler.com. Filer is spelled F-I-E-L-E-R. You, my friend, are awesome. I so enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much for for sharing it with me and, and our listeners. I so appreciate you. Thank you so much.